Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, Imago Day. Well, it's that time again. Super Bowl Sunday for all you artists. Just so you know, there's a football game. Um, We're so glad that you're with us today. Next week, we're going to start the series called Becoming. Um, Chelsea discussed it a little bit. And I'm really excited about this series. I hope you will jump on board and join us um, to really create, how do we create a common language and understanding of this spiritual journey? As we come together from uh, so many different diverse backgrounds, ages, socioeconomic class experiences, how do we together understand what Jesus is doing informing us into the image of Christ. And so that'll start next week. And we look forward to having you here. Um, today we're on the third week of Saving Justice, and we're wrapping this up. And we've looked over the last couple weeks of what is God's heart for justice. Gabby uh, did a wonderful job of just from her own experience and from the Old Testament and from Scriptures, and from Jesus' own life to show us that God loves the stranger and the foreigner and calls us to that. Uh, Tyler, last week, from his experiences pastoring in Arizona, as this uh, quote-unquote issue becomes very um, applicable to them because their neighbor now is someone who has immigrated in? And how as a church community do they navigate the love of Jesus in that moment? And as we think of the larger church, at this moment, we are seeing the church rise up and call for biblical, compassionate immigration reform. As some of you might think, this is a new thing that Imago's jumped into, but the reality is the Southern Baptists focus on the family. Uh, this is across theological lines from conservative to progressive. Within the church today, churches are consistently calling for immigration reform that protects borders, creates pathways for legal citizenship, and affords those who are here on expired visas to find a way to become legal citizens. Today, I want us to consider what it looks like as an opportunity for the church. When we first moved here to plant Imago in 2000, uh, we, we settled in the David Douglas School District area. And my son, my oldest son, Josh, his best friend was Alan. And Alan and his family came from Bosnia. And we learned that uh, over the first two years of his life, he spent underground because of the genocide that was taking place in the ethnic cleansing of Muslims. 
Alan's dad was university educated. He had a science background, but the only work he could do here was drive a cab for 60 plus hours a week. And they lived with cousins and uncles to afford housing, and Alan became Josh's best friend. And, And so here we were moving to plant this church downtown to downtown in 2000 this used to be kind of a a very different neighborhood um now it's really cool um wasn't as cool when we started working down here but what we saw was one day alan's younger cousin came over to play just a young girl playing with our kids and one time she was in our house and she saw a cross on the wall And her face, like, turned white. And she got super scared. And I remember thinking to myself, like, what? What's the deal? And it was at that moment that we realized that the cross, which for for us and for the people of God is the greatest symbol of the love of God for all humanity, had been turned into a symbol of terror for her. As Milosevic misused that designation of Christian to get rid of people that were other than him. A symbol of humanity's hope was turned into a political symbol of oppression and that people who didn't know Jesus ran from it. We want to look today at the heart of the issue. And at the heart of the issue really is the great commandment. And the church, if you boil it down, has a great commandment and a great commission. The great commandment out of Matthew 22, it says, hearing this, that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested them with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we all understand that part. But listen to what he says. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now as you read through the Old Testament and you understand over and over God's heart for the poor, the foreigner, the marginalized, the vulnerable. And these passages come up over and over. And then we get to the prophets. And the prophets, if you understand the prophets, they are the covenant keepers. They are the ones that are there to enforce the covenant. So as the people of God have gotten these instructions from God to say, here is how you are to live among the nations and to be a light to the Gentiles and to treat all that around you. And the instructions for their king were you were to take this book of the law and meditate on it day and night so that your heart and your mind were being formed by the heart of God. And when that didn't happen and they broke covenant, the prophets would come in and they would enforce it and say, look, you have forgotten 
the poor. You have forgotten the vulnerable. You have forgotten those who I care. And so I detest your worship services. Right? Jesus says that if we love God with everything that we have and we love our neighbor as ourselves, then everything that the law teaches will be fulfilled. What he's saying there is that your heart, your mind, your strength, your actions, your behavior, your attitudes, and your values will be formed by God. And you will begin to see the world the way He sees it. The overwhelming sense that you get when you read the Bible from cover to cover is that God says, I am calling you to love me and love people. Use your power to love people. And you also find that there are other people in Scripture who love themselves, they love their power, and they use people to gain, keep, or increase power. And those people don't end up well in Scripture. Right? And, and that is a, it's very clear. Start in Genesis, end in Revelation, and you see this theme over and over. You either love God and use power so you can love people, or you love self and you use people because you love power. And when you read the Scripture very clearly, God does not have good things to say about those who go to bat with Him on these issues. He calls Himself the protector, the defender, the father of the vulnerable, the fatherless, and the foreigner. And so what we're talking about here is not an issue politically, left or right. It is bipartisan in that sense. We know that President Obama deported more people than have been deported in the last several years. And so we aren't talking about what side are we on. And when we come to issues like this and like so many issues, I'm reminded of when Joshua, they were going into the promised land and they were to take the land that God had promised them. And he, before he goes in the night before, he's standing there before the angel of the Lord. And his first question is, are you with us or are you against us? The angel of the Lord, are you on our team? And he says, nope. Neither. Neither. I'm not for you or against you. It's the wrong question. Are you for me or against me? And I feel like as Christians, we've aligned ourselves with the left or the right or some political ideology, and we're trying to get Jesus to say, Jesus, are you for us? Are you on our team? No, no, no. He's on our team. And he's standing there going, I'm not... On any of your teams. The question is, are you on my team? And I've made my purposes pretty clear on this. We have an opportunity to reflect the heart of God, to be on His team, to join Him and use whatever power and resource 
and privilege we have to love those that He loved. And that is not a denial that says we're throwing out the idea that as a nation we have to secure borders or anything like this. But as the people of God, our response should sing of His purposes, His attitudes, His values that we see dominating the Scriptures. And so there are three kind of primary issues that God loves about immigration. And the first is the worship issue. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, and it says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. You have made all of them, with all their differences, a kingdom, singular, to serve as priests together for their one God, and they will reign on earth. Revelation is a picture of worship. When we come here every Sunday, we are only practicing for heaven. Not that it will be one long worship service. Heaven's way better than that, I promise you. But the, the idea is that we will be one family with one Lord and one God. And if we open our hearts, we will see that it's possible for worship in Portland to look a lot more like worship in heaven as we join our brothers and sisters from other places, ethnicity, music, and worship styles, and together with one voice, in one song, through many languages, declare our one Lord and one faith. Today at this very moment, it's happening in Portland. Russian community, Chinese, Haitian, Hispanic, Ethiopian, Portuguese, Korean, and more churches are worshiping Jesus at this very moment in their own language right here in our city. And Jesus loves it. He loves it. It's our segregation that keeps us from the blessing that Jesus loves. And where does our segregation come from? Is it from Scripture? Are we so saturated with our media and politics and race and economics and false securities and false comforts? Are our opinions formed by that that we no longer can carry the beautiful, biblical, moral vision of God to the world around us? We have to ask ourselves, is immigration really a threat to our way of life or is it an opportunity to participate with Jesus, to care for the vulnerable and to hear them worship our Savior and theirs? To embrace our family members that we haven't had a chance to meet yet. 
It's also a solidarity issue. We know that, uh, that Jesus said, if you have done it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. And I love in the book of Hebrews that the writer of Hebrews talks about entertaining the stranger. And he says, and some have entertained angels without knowing it. So, so what both Jesus does and the writer of Hebrews does is say there is a possibility that the next time you reach out to that vulnerable person, it won't be the vulnerable person. It will actually be Christ. It will actually be an angel. And will you be the one to go, get out of here. I know I have done that. I wonder when I stand before Jesus, how many times will I say, I was with you like several times. You walked right by me. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 13 says, of all these people of faith, he defines them this way. He says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. We are all strangers and foreigners. We talked about exile this fall and the idea that we are in the world but not of the world. And Scripture uses the idea of immigration as a metaphor for saying this is actually how you and I are to relate with the world. Not as citizens who are, who are hanging on, but as people who are traveling through, who are enjoying our citizenship and taking full advantage of it, but recognizing all the time that this is not our home. So what does it look like for followers of Jesus to, to learn from our brothers and sisters who are refugees or immigrants? Um, one of the beautiful things for our kids of going to David Douglas is in almost every one of their graduating classes there were 70 birth nations. Um, there's only 195 nations. Right, And so 70 are in David Douglas down the street. But as uh, they did different sports and different things like that, we got to build really close relationships with the kids and their families. And there was this large number of Turkish kids on the wrestling team. And they were real good at wrestling. And Bryce loved wrestling. And, and, uh, and what was so fun about it was, for Bryce, he would go over to their house, and they all lived in the same sort of apartment complex where they were settled. And they would go, he goes, you just go over there, and you go from door to door to door, from cousin to cousin to cousin, and everybody's got food, and everybody's making food. And he came back to our house, and he's like, this sucks, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm like, well, you can try to go around the neighborhood and ask for food. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> but what struck me when I read this is there was this... They, they had the experience of being in Portland, wrestling on the team, 
right, doing all of those things, but they also had their own language that they spoke when they were together, their own sense of family and identity when they were together. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying as you follow Jesus, you are as a foreigner and a stranger on earth. When you come together, it's like Nadari and his family in that apartment complex. But if we don't have those relationships, if we don't have those connections, then we miss out on everything that Scripture's telling us. That we are much closer to the immigrant and the refugee than we think we are. And this is what every person is looking for. This is the human longing. This is exactly what the refugees and immigrants, they're coming for a chance at a better world. And we have the opportunity to see them as co-equal partners on this journey. First, helping them settle in this world as together we hope and strive towards the other. It's also a mission issue. We all know the Great Commission. Many of us know that. Matthew 28, the 11 disciples go to Galilee, to the mountain. They meet Jesus there, and He sees them. And they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely... I am with you always to the very end of the age. The American church, for the most part, is in decline. Mainline churches, mostly, uh, more non denominational churches are pretty flat. But what we see is incredible growth in the church of North America. Between 2007 and 2015, the white church by affiliation declined by 8%. The Latino church has grown by 65% in the same seven years. They account for 16% of evangelicals. That is 33% higher than seven years earlier. And some of us might see that as a problem. But here's what I think. Because this is happening in other areas of the church too that are thriving. The Romanian church, the Russian church. And God is willing to bless those who are willing to bless Him. And so what we see is the face of the church of America changing. And now this isn't an issue of immigration. This isn't an issue of stranger, or even an issue of neighbor. This is an issue of family. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. The percentage of refugees and uh, immigrants that become believers is staggering. Look at this quote. 86% of the immigrant population in North America are likely to either be Christians or become Christians. And that is far above the national average. The immigrant population accurately presents the greatest hope for Christian renewal in North America. We should not see this as something that threatens us. 
we should see this as a wonderful opportunity. That's incredible. That if the church was to revitalize, it may just be uh, our brothers and sisters who are coming in or meeting Christ who revitalize us. That is a beautiful thing. And evangelism. And for some of you, that's a dirty word, but here's what I want to tell you it is at the heart of liberation. We are called to care. We are called to advocate. But we are also called to share the amazing news that Jesus is the abundant life that we are all striving for and longing for. The greatest liberation we can experience is being brought into the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we have an opportunity to share that message. Or as it looks like by the statistics, they may be sharing it with us. Right? And if that sounds like an overstep for you, like, no, we should just care, we should fix the system, which I agree, it's not one or the other. But if it's an overstep, then I don't think you've fully appreciated your own salvation. Because the hope of the world is not fixed systems. It's transformed hearts. And if all the people in the world loved Jesus with everything they had and obeyed His Word and His heart for others, the systems would change. That sounds oversimplistic, but it's realistic. We know we're not close to being there, so we have to care and advocate and serve and fight, but we also must share the hope of Jesus Christ who brings us into the love of the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, by simply trusting in His grace. This is not an issue of stranger. This is an issue of family. And if we, as the Church of America, are willing to spend millions of dollars to take the Gospel across the world, to cross borders illegally in the name of Jesus, and to break laws to share our faith, but we are not willing to preach that same Gospel by walking across the street. Something is radically wrong with our theology. And we believe at Imago Dei that we are to take the whole Gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. And so i got good news for us. The world is here. Right? So when you hear about that invitation for next Sunday night, what we're really doing is saying, what does it look like for the church to rally to God's heart? I've read of a church in an area um, much like East Portland, a very white church that had lost many of its members. It was an aging congregation, and the community around it changed. It was uh, very much populated with refugees and immigrants. And rather than sort of tucking in and hiding, they started to provide legal aid. This little church of 60 people and they figured out all the ins and outs and pretty soon they were endorsed by the government to provide this legal aid which oftentimes is 
very costly uh, for people who don't have much money, and it's not much help. And so they were endorsed as a certified legal aid uh, little group. And the church itself, in the course of five years, 60 little people uh, provided legal aid to over 5,000 members of their community. That's beautiful, right? They're there. They're their neighbors. They're taking the gospel. And by the way, these are not just Latino people or people coming from Mexico. These are Irish people. Yes. Amen. (laughs) You're welcome, my brother. So ESL is part of that. Um, It was interesting moving into David Douglas because while the kids, as they came in from other countries, they picked up the language so fast. Uh, 103 languages at the high school of David Douglas. There are not teachers who know all that language, right? They just, but they take the kid and they just kind of stick him next to somebody and say, good luck, and they got it, like, really quick, but the parents very rarely do. And so being able to teach ESL and help families navigate. I'm also looking at how, how in the world can we see these thriving leaders in churches that are really revitalizing Christianity in North America. But so often they feel like they're at the kids' table. And then there's like the white leaders in the white church, and we're at the big table, and we're like, oh, look at them. So cute. That's not right. We are co-equals in the Gospel, partners in the Gospel. So what does it look like to be a Book of Acts type of church where white leaders follow leaders of color and we leverage resource towards their needs like the church in Acts? There's so much that we can jump into. There's so much that we can dream about starting. But it is first and foremost a question that Jesus asks us. Are you for me? Or against me? When I think about Alan's cousin and her reaction to the cross in my house, I would pray that we would live the kind of life that no matter where you came from, when you look at the symbol of the cross, you would see it as the greatest hope of humanity. And that can only be possible when Jesus is King of our life, not just an addition. And so He sets a table for us. And He says, you who were stranger, I am making you part of my family. And He sets that table right here, and He sets it at the border, and He sets it everywhere around this city. And says, will you come and take my flesh and take my blood and become my brothers and sisters? Be brought into my Father's house as one body of Christ. And so just as we might help someone navigate their way into their citizenship here, Somebody probably helped you navigate your way into the citizenship of the kingdom. 
who sat with you and told you about Jesus, who explained what it meant to be part of His family and His world, and who brought you to this table. Jesus Christ is the one that moves us from strangers to neighbors to family. And the question is, will we join Him? Let's pray. Father God, this morning we come to You recognizing, Father, how far all of us are from Your heart. And so, Father, I pray that this morning we would, we would bring that heart of confession to You, God. To say, I believe, but help my unbelief, God. To ask You to forgive us when we have missed You because You showed up as a stranger among us and we ignored You. God, to to forgive our hypocrisy where we are willing to send missionaries across the globe, but we're not willing to walk across the street. And Father, we pray that Your church in North America would be revived. And if it is our brothers and sisters, God, who are from other places, who You have brought here for that purpose, may we not get in their way. May we follow and learn and have a pint of whatever they're drinking. So meet us at this table that You have always met us at. And You have invited us and called us from the time that we were strangers. And You have made us sons and daughters. Capture our heart with your vision of the world. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amagodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.